0: Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible in front of you to John chapter 15, and if you need a Bible, there's one under a seat close to you, grab it, and open up to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, you'll find it in the New Testament. Turn to chapter 15, and that's where we're camping out this morning, and uh, while you turn there, let me know where, where let, me let you know where we're going as 2019 begins next week. Pastor Joe will kick off the year with a fantastic sermon for us to get us going in 2019, and then uh, the second Sunday of 2019, We begin our 316 series, uh, four weeks on John 316. And we've been saying all along, if you have people in your life, uh, mom, dad, brother, sister, friends... Who are kind of searching or uh, don't know Christ, uh, I would just challenge them. What is it her, what do they got to lose to spend four weeks to start their year in church? And it's just going to be a fantastic study for us as we uh, slowly, piece by piece, walk through uh, this verse that's really common uh, to so many. And so uh, that begins in two weeks. And just uh, be encouraging you to be praying about and thinking about who God might have uh, join you for church in those weeks. Um, But today, uh, John... 15. And um, this week, um, this is kind of resolution season, right? Resolution makers out there, it's okay, admitted. Do you make them? Do you make them? Who breaks them? Who, right? Who breaks them? I enjoy the resolution making process. I enjoy the goal setting process. And um, and yet, I, I think I enjoy breaking them more than I enjoy making them. Um, there are most of the resolutions I make don't make it to the end of the year. Uh, something like I'm not going to eat ice cream for a year, Usually, usually makes it a couple hours into the new year. Uh, things like working out might limp a couple months along. Um, and then occasionally, occasionally I'll have a resolution that crosses the finish line of, of the year. And um, I'm, I'm always reminded as I make and then subsequently break the resolutions how, um, how limited, how weak my self-discipline is. And now I know there's some of you out there who are like, you're just those discipline freaks, right? If you make a goal, you keep a goal, you'll do whatever it takes to get there. And you're saying, you just need to be more disciplined. But I think you would even agree that uh, there's a limit to our self-discipline. We can only kind of will our way towards something so far. And and that's why I'm actually encouraged this week because I've been studying this passage. I'm encouraged for this reason. That my, my spiritual fruitfulness, and now that's kind of a Christian term that we're going to use a lot today, bearing fruit, fruitfulness. And if you're not a Christian in the room, you maybe have heard Christians talk about that before. And you, you hear them say things like, I just, don't see ve- I just don't see much fruit in that guy's life. And you're thinking, well, he's not an apple tree. So I, I don't know why you would say that. And we're going to talk about today what Christians mean when they talk about bearing fruit. But as you and I both think about 2019, we want fruitful years. We do. We want to bear fruit for the kingdom. We want to bear fruit that has eternal significance. And I'm actually encouraged today, as we study this passage, that my fruitfulness for the Lord doesn't ultimately, I'm not saying at all, I'm not, like self-discipline has a place in this, but it doesn't ultimately rest on my power and self-discipline to try to will my way towards bearing fruit. In fact, what we study today actually teaches us that if we're going to have a fruitful year in 2019, it actually is found by, here's the, the phrase, it's found by abiding in Christ. And now, We're going to teach on this. We're going to talk about it. This concept of abiding in Christ. If you have a different translation than the one I'm preaching from, yours might say remaining in Christ. Now, what in the world does it mean to abide or remain in Christ? Because I don't know about you, but if you've ever um, read this passage before, or if you've heard sermons on John 15 and abiding in Christ, I, there's something inside of me that always just wants more. Tell me, tell me how to abide. Give me the three easy steps to abiding. When I come across other passages of Scripture, like let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, I'm like, got it, that's clear. I know what that's saying. When I come across the concept of abiding in Christ, I'm always like reaching and grasping to go, I don't know if I completely understand what it means, what it looks like to abide in Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to abide. And as we study this passage, I think what we're going to find is what I'm calling today five outcomes, five outcomes for those who abide in Christ. Um, And I'm just gonna kind of spoil, the spoiler alert, I'm gonna kind of give you some of these because I, I want some incentive for us to like really lean in wholeheartedly for the next 30 minutes for these five outcomes. If we want to bear fruit that will bring God glory this year, we need to know how to abide in Christ. If we want a thriving, powerful prayer life this year, we need to understand more today about what it means to abide in Christ. If we want power to obey the commands that Jesus has given us to obey, we have to understand what this passage teaches us today. If we want, and here's this one has just been filling my heart all week, if we want the joy of Jesus inside of us, we have to understand what it means to abide in Christ here this morning. And so, these are the types of things that this passage is going to pull out for us. Um, but I just want to read all of it. Uh, we're John 15, 1 through 11. I want to read it all, and then I want to pray. And then we're going to pull these five outcomes from abiding in Christ here. So, uh, read with me, uh, John 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Pray with me, and let's ask for God's help as we study this. Father, now come help us. Shine a whole lot of light on this passage for us. God, I pray... um, That the words that come out of my mouth in these moments here would be uh, inspired by your spirit. They would be led by you. That it would be an unpacking of your word and what your word says. Lord, that I would uh, teach it correctly and not incorrectly so that the meaning of it goes forth and hearts are molded and transformed and your spirit comes and does a work inside of us that will uh, permeate and remain long after we leave this room. So God, please speak to us through your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Five outcomes. And let me just give you the first one right off the bat here. If I abide in Christ, I'll see God-glorifying fruit produced in my life life look back at what it says in verse one and let me read these verses again I am the true vine my father is the vine dresser if every uh, I am the true vine my father is vine vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you abide in me here it is now Abide in me, remain in me, rest in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, come on, you can do nothing. So Jesus, this concept of abiding, and if you're like me and if you can relate, you're a pragmatist and you want the three easy steps of, okay, here's what it means to abide. And Jesus, in order to explain this concept of of his followers abiding or remaining in him, he uses a visual. He uses a picture that would have been very common to his disciples, and it's this picture of a grapevine. All over the countryside of Israel, even to this day, if you visit, you'll see vineyards. This is an old, ancient vineyard. That tower off in the distance, that's the watchtower over the vineyard. Jesus uses vineyard illustrations often when he's teaching his followers because it was such a common concept. And very simply, he says, okay, here's the deal, guys. I'm the vine. The father is the vine dresser, and you're all of his followers. We are branches. Now, he talks about what is to be true of a branch that is connected into the vine. The branch can only uh, stay alive. It only has life because of its connection uh, connection to the vine. But a healthy branch that is getting life from the vine will will bear fruit. So in a vineyard, Grapes begin to hang off the branches of a grapevine. And these branches remain healthy and full of life simply by staying connected, remaining connected to the vine. So let's think about this. Jesus is telling us, it's not complicated, it's very simple, And yet it's hard for us practically to understand what does that always look like. He's telling us, we as his followers, how do we bear fruit? How do we have a fruitful 2019 and beyond? We simply abide, stay connected to the vine. His life flows into us and fruit is produced out of us. That's how fruitful lives are born. How encouraging is that? that I don't have to self-discipline. Like, I don't, have, I don't have to figure out how I'm going to be fruitful in 2019. I'm not yelling at you. I'm letting you into the pep talks I give in my heart. Brock, be fruitful. I can't fruitful myself. I can't bear fruit without Jesus. And you're thinking, no, no hold on. Like, we have a role in this. Like, we can't, like, there is discipline and the fruit of the Spirit are to lead to, like, self control, absolutely. But even Jesus gives me the self discipline and self control to bear the fruit. It's all Him. It's all just, Brock, connect in, connect in, and stay connected in, and let His life flow into you, and fruit will be produced out of you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, um, I gotta. Oh oh, no! Hold on. Jump down to verse eight with me because this is really important. In the point you wrote down, it says, um, "What's it say? What's that first point say?" Uh, Really, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know. So, um, um, I'll see God. I'll see God glorifying fruit. Now, jump down to verse eight. Where does that God glorifying piece come in? By this, my father is. What's the word? By this, my father is glorified. The purpose of our life. If all you hear every single week you walk into the doors of harvest is you are up and alive and breathing and upright today to do one thing. Give God glory. Your life is a spotlight. Shine it on God. And let his goodness and his awesomeness and his majesty just radiate. And how we do that, how God is glorified in our life, how we show him so awesome and supremely good, is by bearing fruit that reveals that glory. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Fruit bearing gives God glory. God's glory is the purpose of our life. And we can't do it unless we're connected into the life source Jesus the vine. Now, in 2019, it's like okay, I just got to abide in Christ. I got to abide, and the the life of Jesus is going to flow into me. When the life of Jesus flows into me through abiding, fruit's going to be produced out of me. That fruit is going to bring God glory, and nothing hard or painful will happen next year. Right? It's going to be awesome. Don't miss what it says in verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he what? He prunes. God prunes. I'm not, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a gardener. I'm not an arborist. Did I get that right? tree surgeon? Is that what what they're called? Really, I I googled it. It says an arborist is a tree surgeon. It's great. Um, But I do know that pruning involves cutting, right? Cutting is painful. And it tells us here that if we will live fruitful lives for the glory of God through abiding in Christ, The father, the master gardener, will prune us. He will snip, and he will cut, and he will shape, and he will mold. He will prune. But don't miss this. There's a purpose to the pruning. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it it may what? That it it may bear fruit. More fruit. How does this work? Here's an unpruned grapevine here. That's what it looks if you just let a grapevine go. If you don't prune it, what happens is all of the vines that aren't producing fruit, they just begin to choke out all of the fruitfulness of the plant until no fruit is being born. This is why God the Father, Master Pruner, he prunes us so that we will be more fruitful. So, So... All of the unhealthy branches in our life don't just take over and choke out all the fruit. Now, what is is the application just from this first point for us? My first question of application just coming out of this is this. Are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? What kind of fruit are you bearing? Trust me. I've been asking myself the question all week as I sat under this text. Brock, what kind of fruit are you bearing? Brock, look at your fruit. And here's why this is an important question for us. And I know I talk about this concept a lot, but I'm so passionate about this. The south side of Indianapolis is a very churched culture. We know how to look church, talk church, smell church. We know how to, church has a smell, by the way. Um, We know how to look the Jesus part, but I don't want us to miss what we read in verse eight. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so, don't miss the end of that verse. And so what? And so what's it say? You'd read it back to me. And so, prove to be my disciples. One of the gifts from God it's for us to examine our fruit and then ask ourselves hard questions to go, does my fruit reveal that I have a relational connection into the vine? And I'm not saying that we're, we're trying to check off the list of perfection. Not going to happen. We all get that. But if we're connected into the divine, fruit should be being produced out of our life. And as we look at that fruit, we can go, yes, my fruit is so proving that I am a disciple. Here's my passion. And I I, I get it. I'm one of the church kids. I grew up in an area just like the south side of Indianapolis. My my passion is when we ask people, how do you know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? (laughs) Often the answer is I prayed the sinner's prayer. I raised my hand. I walked an aisle. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's good. That might very well be when your relationship with Jesus began. When justification was wrought in your heart and you began walking with Jesus. But I don't think that's the satisfactory answer for how you know that you're a follower of Jesus. Okay, I'm confused. Are you saying that I wasn't saved when I prayed the sinner's prayer? No, I'm saying you very well probably were But my passion is for the many people who prayed the sinner's prayer at 12 and have borne no fruit that would show that they're connected into Jesus at all since then, but believe that they are in Christ because of a prayer they prayed that hasn't borne any fruit in their life. That is not salvation. It's not. Trust me. I, I can relate to you. It was my story. Prayer as a young boy, true salvation at 19, fruit beginning to be born in my life. Not perfection, but fruit. I just want us to wrestle with that question. Are you bearing fruit and so proving to be Christ's disciple? Now, for those of you, sometimes when I raise things like this in a sermon, like those of you sitting out there who are like the most spirit-filled people I know who are bearing fruit for the kingdom in amazing ways, you're like, oh, my goodness, am I saved? Is he talking about me? Chill. (laughs) If right now, like, maybe you're freaking out, like, I just haven't done enough. That's not gospel. That's not the gospel. Chill. I'm talking about those who made a profession at one point. But if you're honest with yourself, you're like, that profession, like, there's been no life change since then. Let the conviction of the Holy Spirit just begin to work and work and work. So that surrender truly happens here this morning. Are you bearing fruit? Second question under, we're still on, we're still on point one here, but we'll get to point two. Are you believer resting and trusting completely in the vine? Are you believer? going into a new year, completely resting, abiding, and just trusting in the vine. I've known I was preaching this passage for a couple weeks. So I've been staring at trees and plants. And it just dawned on me the other day as I'm staring at a tree, my life's really exciting. Um, I'm going, I went, that branch is doing nothing to keep itself alive. It's doing nothing. Well, you know, it's, it's holding into the vine. The vine is holding it. It's doing nothing. And it was like this most freeing moment for me as I'm staring at a tree, like, the branch is doing nothing. The vine is doing everything. It's giving the life. It's holding the branch in. Thank you, Jesus, my vine. I can just rest in you and remain in you, and your life will flow into me. Are you, are you resting and trusting in the vine, believer? As a branch just connected in there. Third question of application under point one. Are you prepared in 2019 for pruning? Are you prepared for pruning? Um, It is likely to come. And here's what I want us to remember in light of what verse 2 says. The Father prunes for the purpose of more fruit being born. To say it like this, when those seasons come, say to yourself, this pruning may be painful, but it's not without purpose. This pruning may be painful, but it's not without purpose. When 2019 brings a season of pruning, it may be painful, but it's not without purpose. This is why... When we come across passages in the Bible that say, uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. You go, how do we consider trials joy? We consider trials joy because we know the Father, the Master Pruner, will use the trial to produce more Christ-like character inside of me. Joy. Joy. This is why when we come across Romans 8, 28, for for I know that he works all things together for the good for those who love him. And you go, are you sure that he works all things to good? Yes, he works all things to good because even in the bad things, even in the painful things, even in the hard things, he will produce greater Christ-likeness in us, joy. This is how this works. So when the pruning comes, it will be painful. We don't rejoice in the pain. We don't rejoice in the pain. We rejoice in what God is doing inside of us through and in the midst of the pain. So, very clearly, I think we see that first outcome of, of, of abiding is God glorifying fruit being produced in our life. But it's not, that's not all. That's not all. Secondly, if I abide in Christ, I'll see answered prayer in my life. How can I say that? How can I say that? Look with me at verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This isn't We're reading right now in uh, Jesus' teaching in what's often called the final discourse. Um, This isn't the first time he has said this in the final discourse. If you go up with your eyes or flip back a page, uh, I think it's John 14, verse 13. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Anyone else ever kind of struggled with this verse a little bit? I I haven't. I know some people who have, but I I've struggled with this verse. I'm reading a book right now, an inner city ministry in LA. A 13, 14 year old girl in the projects runs back up to her Bible club leaders, and she's crying. She says, it's not true. It's not true. She's angry. She's crying. And they're like, well, they're trying to, what do you mean it's not true? What are you saying? It's not true. She had recently come to Christ. She's growing. She's reading the Bible for herself. She comes across these statements, and she begins praying immediately. In Jesus' powerful name, do not let my parents get divorced. Do not let my parent, in the power of the name of Jesus, I'm claiming that. Don't let them get divorced. Divorce. And here she runs, crying, weeping, angry, going, it's not true. What do we do with this? Because I think we can all relate to the 13-year-old girl in the projects of L.A. We've called on God. We believe in the power of Jesus' name with complete faith, praying for something that we go, God, this will bring you glory. And we have yet to see the answer. We have actually maybe seen like the opposite of that answer. Well, what do we do with this? Let me answer one of the deepest questions of the faith in the next 30 seconds. No, it's not going to happen, okay? But here's a couple of things I think are important about this. Go back to verse 7. What's the first word? What is it? If you abide in me, next word, and my words abide in you. It's not in there, but we could then ask. Whatever. Okay, so what, what am, we have to first, when we come across this, acknowledge the conditional statement that Jesus makes here. We would totally, all of us in the room would totally understand if we were in someone's house and uh, a teenage boy comes up and says, can I go play basketball with my friends? And the mom replies, if you go clean your room, then you can go play basketball with your friends. The playing of basketball with his friends is conditional on the cleaning of the room. It's really important that we don't like twist something Jesus didn't say. He says, if you abide in me. Okay, 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 okay. So this is a promise to those who are abiding in Christ. And then he adds an and. It seems that he's added another subsequent condition on this. And my words abide in you. Then ask, and on and on it goes, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why, how does this work, what Jesus is teaching here? Here's how I think this works. When we begin to abide in Christ. The life of Jesus flows into us, and our desires, what we want, begins to mirror his desires and what he wants. And then, as we grow in Christ, and it says his words are abiding in us, we are filling and meditating and memorizing the word of God, our, our desires and what we want begins to align more with what God wants, and we begin hearing ourselves say, Lord, Lord I'm going to ask you for this, but Lord, I trust you completely. Whatever you want to do according to your will that will bring you glory, that's what I want, and we really believe it. Because we're growing in the Lord. His word is abiding in us. We're wanting the same things God wants. And then God is beginning to answer prayer according to his will for his glory and his purpose. And we've come under and, and submitted ourselves and are aligned to that in the deepest way we have ever been. What I'm saying is when we're abiding in Christ, when his words are abiding in us, we begin to pray the very same things that are on God's heart. Take take this passage, for example. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will... That's not this, like, contractual... Okay, all right, here's the deal. If you delight yourself in me, then I'll give you whatever you want. That's not, that's not this contractual, like, I'll do this for you, God, if you give me all the things I want here. No, what that verse is saying... Delight yourself in the Lord. To delight means take great pleasure in the Lord. When you take great pleasure in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart because the desires of your heart will be completely in line with the desires of his heart are. He will give himself the the, the delights of his heart for his glory, amen? What about the girl in the projects who's praying in the name of Jesus? For a God glorifying outcome. And it seems to go the other way. I'm still working on that one. I am. I am. I'm still working on that one. But I trust the Lord and His goodness to be working something in all of that for the good of His people and for his glory that I don't yet see yet in that story. If we abide in Christ, God-glorifying fruit is produced in our life. We begin to see answered prayer in our life. And now third, the third outcome of a life abiding in Christ is this. I'll keep Christ's commands, showing, showing that I abide in his love. Now where does that come from? Uh, look at what it says back to the end of verse 8, or beginning of verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you, look at, here's, here's another, that big if word. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, we got to make sure we get this the right way and not get it backwards. What do I mean? When we see Jesus say, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What he's not saying is, in order to get my love, you must keep my commandments. Instead, what he's saying here, your keeping of my commandments are the proof that you have abided in my love. The keeping of the commands, the obedience flows out of the abiding in Jesus, the receiving him in relationship as Lord, him giving us life, giving us the desire to keep his commandments. Now, Think about what this says here. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Abiding in Christ gives us the power to keep the commands that Jesus has called us to. Think about the hope we have for victory over sin when we think about that. Think about the hope that that just gave us for victory over habitual sin. Like There's just some of us in the room that there's been sin patterns in our life that are going on months, that are going on years for some of us in the room. There's sin patterns, ingrained, deeply ingrained sin patterns that are going on, on decades. Um, 2019 is the year those break in the power of Jesus' name. No more. How do we just, you're like, trust me, I've tried to just will it. Break. Stop. Yeah, that didn't work. How does abiding in the love of Christ allow us the power to keep the commands of Christ? Here's how. When you abide in the love of Jesus you begin to see him for how good and awesome and glorious he is. You begin to get a glimpse of him. You, see, you feel his life pulsating inside of you and you see him for how good he is. This is the hope for victory over sin. Listen, there's only so much that can happen with victory over sin when we make it all about, stop, Brock, don't do that, Brock, don't do that, Brock. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, Brock did it again. Yes, guardrails are needed. Defensive measures are needed, but that's like three-tenths of the equation. You know what the other seven-tenths of the equation is? Go see how awesome and glorious Jesus is. Stare on him. Abide in him. Rest in him. Remain in him. See him for how good he is. When we see him for how good he is, and when we're savoring him, when we're abiding in him, we'll go, I want him, and I want what he wants, and we'll look at all of this stuff that we used to desire, and we'll say, nasty, gross, I don't want any of it. Give me him. He's better. That's the victory that comes through the abiding. We abide in him. We see him for how good he is. And it makes us just disgusted with stuff that we used to just revel in. So the abiding gives us victory. Now, what I've been waiting all morning to get to, verse 11. You're like, you should have got there quicker then. Uh, verse 11. <coughs> verse 11. You want to hear an awesome outcome of abiding? These things I have spoken to you. That's a big statement. Jesus, why have you been saying all this? These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. Come on. This, I think, is the greatest need of the church of our generation. The legitimate, authentic, genuine joy of Jesus deeply enrooted in the heart of believers. That when unbelievers interact with us, they're just like, I saw a guy at Starbucks yesterday. Oh, I hope he's not here. Uh, (laughs) Do I tell the story? Yes, I do. Um, Like the biggest coffee diva I've ever seen. He went back to the counter like for, really, really? I'm like, we get so angry over coffee. We get so angry over lattes. We get so angry over like, I'm driving my car down the road and they're following me too closely. We are so easily angry people. That when we interact with someone who Jesus, the genuine joy of Jesus is just part of who they are. It's just like this breath of fresh, fresh air for a believer and for unbeliever. Believers get it and they go, "Lord, do that. Will you do that more in my heart?" Unbelievers go, "What? I want." the joy of Jesus deep down in my heart. If I abide in Christ, I don't know if I've given you the point yet, I'll have Christ's joy in me. All in favor of that, say aye. Then, when we have Christ's joy in us, finish finish out the verse. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and then when Christ's joy is in us, that your joy may be. I want fullness of joy in 2019. I want joy... That, that I don't equate with happiness, that ebbs and flows and circumstances. I don't, want, I don't want joy that I equate with happiness that rides the roller coaster. This is a good month, this is a bad month. Business is going well, business stinks. Our kids are rocking it. Our kids aren't. <laughs> Marriage seems good. He just said something dumb again. <laughs> I don't want to ride that roller coaster. Jesus, let me abide. Give me your joy. Let mine be full. That's what I want. And now the answer is, go work up joy in your heart. Go abide. Just go be with him in the mornings. Just go worship him on your way to work. Just see him for how good he is. Let his life fill you in joy. I'm so long today, but I'm not preaching next week, so I'm trying to get two sermons in in one week. <clears throat> um, I'm at the hospital with one of our seniors, just one of our senior saints part of this church. Just from the first time, they moved up here from Texas. First time you met her, you were like, this woman loves Jesus. She had fallen on Christmas. I um, hurt her hip, I think fractured her hip in a couple of places. She told her family, "No, you're bringing me to all the Christmas celebrations, then I'll go to the hospital." And you listen to her when she says that. I'm sitting bedside the day after the morning after Christmas. The joy. I got home and I told Erica, "The joy." Bell on Christmas, she's laying in the hospital hours away from surgery, and the only time tears would well up in her eyes wasn't when she was talking about falling and all the recovery. The only time tears would well up in her eyes were tears of joy when she would talk about how good God is. I said, oh, I walked out of that room going, I didn't minister to her, she ministered to me. Oh, God, give me that. That kind of joy. Now, last point. I, I wouldn't be fair to the text if I didn't put this point in. If I abide in Christ, fifthly, I'll avoid God's judgment on me. You're like, that's kind of a heavyweight end. I know, but I wouldn't be fair to the text if I didn't. Look back at what it says in verse 2. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he what? He takes away. Jump down to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So, Carol, can you go back? This isn't an order. Can you go back to that um, slide of the grapes growing off the vine? Fruit. Life in Christ. What it looks like to abide. Now go to all those dead, those dead vines. Um piled up. For the ones that aren't abiding, non-abiding means you're not bearing fruit. Jesus says those are cut off. The Father cuts those. They get piled up, and they get, they get burned. Liberal scholarship says Jesus never taught on hell. It's just, fa- it's just not true. It's just not true. You're like, but I thought he was just like always taught on love. He always did teach on love. Thus, he had to teach about the truth and the reality of hell. And the wrath of God and the judgment of God. I love you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is on you. Like that's so judgmental. How dare you say that to me? I speak from someone who the wrath of God was on pre the salvation of Jesus Christ in my life. You're sitting in a room full of people who aren't judging you because the wrath of God is on you. They were there. But it doesn't have to be like that anymore. All Jesus has been teaching here is an invitation and a calling of you, come abide, come abide, come have the life of Jesus dwelling inside of you and when you come and when you in faith, invite Jesus in as the Lord of your life and God tells you that that happens the moment you call on him in faith. God has offered you something by his grace. It's a gift none of us deserve and we respond to that gift By faith, we say, Jesus, come. I want to abide. I want to know you in relationship. Come, save me. And he does. And the wrath of God is removed off you. How can you do that? How can just like that? Because he already poured his wrath out on his son, on the person teaching this right here. The wrath of God was poured out on him on our behalf. Though he was without sin, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Have you called on Jesus for salvation yet? And why not right here this morning? Why not today? Come up here right after. Let's talk. You call on Jesus, and you experience the abiding, fruit-producing, power of prayer-giving, power to obey the commands of God, abiding life in Jesus Christ. Amen? So, I gotta be done. Um, I know what you're thinking, because I think it every time I read this passage and every time I hear a sermon on it, but you didn't give me the three steps to how to abide. You're like, I all I know is like I'm supposed to abide. How do I do that? I fear that if I close the sermon with and now three easy steps to the abiding life in Christ, it would be like, guys, it'd be like your anniversary's coming up Thursday. And I gave you the playbook for like, okay, bring her roses, check. Then read her this note, check. And you would just go through the mechanical, the mechanical aspects. That's not a relationship. Well, like, it's a relationship, but it's not a relationship any of us want, right? Relationship with Jesus Christ, not some like formulaic, now, do, go, now go do these three, four things in, in order to abide. Um. Here's what I will leave us with today. It's going to be kind of odd. Let me give you the statement and then let me give us a call for what to do with our week. Abiding in Christ will produce God glorifying fruit through me and the joy of Jesus in me. I want that. I want that for next year and every year after that. So, what do we do this week? How do we grow in this? Um, take your sermon notes, get John 15 open in your lap, go stare at a tree. Really? Like, I don't get it. For some reason, Jesus picked plants, vines, to teach a concept that he knew our minds would have a really hard time trying to get concrete in our head. So he said, "Uh, it's it's like a grapevine. You see the vine, you see how the branches come out, and then the branches bear fruit. I'm the vine, I give you the life. Your life, my life going through you, it allows you to produce fruit. Uh, Go stare at a tree. Just Just go stand under it. And stare at it and study at it and go, those branches aren't doing anything. And this spring, leaves are going to come off those. And if it's fruit, fruit's going to be produced all of And just let the Holy Spirit with the Word of God in front of you, with the same picture that Jesus gave to his disciples, right there staring at you, let the Spirit of God begin to instruct your life on what it means for you to abide in Christ. Stand under it, stare at it, and study at it. Study it so long that your neighbor walks out his door and says, Bill... Everything okay? You've been been staring at that tree a while. I bet you won't do it. I dare you. With word open, notes from this morning, and an aspect of God's creation that he uses to teach this principle before us, let's let the Holy Spirit apply. This to our life. Stand with me as I pray for us. God, teach us how to abide. I confess to you, Lord, I'm such a like pragmatist at heart that when I run into your commands that are just really clear, don't talk like this, do this, do this, do this. I'm like, got it, got it, got it. But then, Lord, when I come into a concept of just abiding, I just confess, I I don't know how to abide. (laughs) If there's one thing I've learned this week studying this, I don't know how to abide. Lord, teach us how to abide. Because abiding in you is your life flowing through us, fruit producing out of us, prayer being answered, power to obey your commands, your joy. God, we want your joy deep down inside of us. Teach us how to abide. We trust your Holy Spirit now to apply this passage to our heart. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.